coming up on The Exam Room. Let's say you're talking to a patient and you say, hey, these are the five foods you should be eating if you do not want to have a heart attack. What is the number one food on your list? So I would say legumes, probably number one, you know, beans, lentils. And there's a couple of reasons why they're such a powerful tool. So one is a substitution effect. If you're getting your protein, for example, from legumes, from beans, you know, what else are you getting? You're getting fiber. So fiber has been shown to lower blood pressure, lower blood sugar, you know, lower cholesterol, um, help control weight. You're also getting a ton of antioxidants, uh, especially the darker beans. And, you know, one of the risk factors for, for heart disease is, is high cholesterol. And when we develop oxidative stress, which is a normal response to our bodies, and, and in small doses, it's good, but in high doses, it can actually oxidize the, the LDL particles, making it more reactive with the blood vessel wall. Red, dark beans, red beans, um, pinto beans, black beans, very potent antioxidants. And what are you not getting? you're not getting saturated fat. So when we get our protein, for example, from chicken or ham or, or, or beef or turkey, you know, what else are we getting? We're getting saturated fat, right? And what are we not getting? We're not getting antioxidants because antioxidants only occur in plants. We're not getting any fiber because fiber only occurs in plants. You know, there's, there's benefit from directly from the legumes themselves, uh, the phytonutrients that are in the legumes, but also there's a, a pretty profound substitution effect. We're not getting it from meat. We're not exposing ourselves to the saturated fat, which we know is one of the biggest drivers of risk for heart disease. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Greensboro, North Carolina, Oceanside, California, and Fukuoka, Japan. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 99 of season 6, number 495 overall. Every minute of every day, someone somewhere in the U.S. will have a heart attack. That's more than 2,000 people every single day and about 800,000 every year. And we want to make sure that you are not one of them. So on this episode, we are giving you five foods that can help prevent a heart attack. Now, we all know that fast food and greasy food, high fat food, that is all a no-no for your heart. So we're gonna be flipping the script. We're gonna be talking about the foods that do the exact opposite, the foods that really support your heart and make it as healthy as possible so that it can beat as healthfully and happily as possible without a problem. And the man with the five best for you today, the man who will be raising our heart health IQs, he is one half of the doc and chef, also the medical director at the Barnard Medical Center. He is a man who has treated some of the most elite athletes in the entire world as a physician for teams in both the National Football League and in Major League Baseball. And oh, by the way, he happens to be an elite athlete himself, having completed the Ironman Triathlon when he was 60 years old. He is a competitor, he is super knowledgeable, he is our good friend, Dr. Jim Loomis. And he is our guest on The Exam Room Live, and you can always join us for The Exam Room Live every Wednesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube or on Facebook. Join us, raise your health IQs with the other exam roomies live and in person, get your questions answered by our experts, and take your health to the next level. And man, did we have some good questions this week. So not only did we have Dr. Loomis's five best foods to prevent a heart attack, but then we also talked about the healthiest whole grains and what are the best beans and best fruits for heart health and are green leafy vegetables the king of heart health or is another veggie sitting atop the throne? plus salt and fish and red meat versus white meat. And is there such a thing as a heart healthy oil? How that science shakes out. 
So a lot of ground to cover, not to mention Dr. Loomis's five best for preventing a heart attack. And we will get to all of that in just a minute. But first question, question for you. Have you heard about the hottest new health club in all the land? It is a health club guaranteed to improve your health, no doubt about it. But best of all, no monthly fee. It is 100% FRWE, and you can take it with you wherever it is that you go. Of course, I'm talking about becoming an exam room VIP. Exam room VIPs, here's what you get. Exclusive access to some of our premium interviews, like the one that we just released with Dr. Michael Greger. Well, as a VIP, you can hear it two weeks before anybody else. We just talked about his brand new book, How Not to Age. Exam room VIPs get in on that two weeks before anybody else. Plus, as an exam room VIP, as we head into the new year, you're going to get pre-sale access to tickets before they go on sale to the general public for when we do our big live shows. And there may be some coming up sooner than you might think. So stay tuned for that. Plus, we're going to be doing exclusive live Q&As with Dr. Neil Barnard as he gets ready to release his new book, The Power Foods Diet. And we're going to be doing those exclusively for exam room VIPs as well. But best of all, as an exam room VIP, you will be supporting our mission here at the Physicians Committee of making the world a healthier place because we are touching lives around the globe through our groundbreaking research and our education. And you can support us, get all of the perks right now for free at pcrm.org slash examroomvip. It is absolutely free. There is nothing to lose and only your health to gain. So let's gain some heart health IQ points right now. What do you say? Dr. Jim Loomis and the five best foods for preventing a heart attack right now on the exam room. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Chuck. How are you? Thanks for having me back. It's great to have you here, man. Uh, happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. And I wanted to talk to you about this based off an episode that you and Chef Karen Dugan did recently on The Doc and Chef, where you really looked at heart disease. And so, like, let's narrow the scope here. Let's let's start by talking about heart attacks specifically. We just heard 800,000 people a year minimum in the United States are going to have a heart attack. That is a huge, huge, huge number. Um, how many of these heart attacks can be prevented, Dr. Loomis? Well, I would, I would say that uh, most of them. Now, some of them you have to start at a young age. Uh, the sooner you start to you know, adapt a healthier lifestyle. And you know, this is especially relevant, by the way, Chuck. Uh, during the holiday season, uh, heart attacks go up by about 25%. Heart attack deaths increased by 40%. And in fact, December is the deadliest month for heart attacks of any month out of the year. So especially relevant for this holiday season. Okay, well, there's a lot that goes into the holidays. We've got stress and we've got diet. In your opinion, which is the bigger culprit of the two? Well, I think it's a combination of, of everything. You know, it is a stressful month, but in typical, you know, the holiday season, our diet's really, really, we all fall off the wagon, all the holiday parties and, and you know, the work parties and, it, you know, the fatty foods and the, the desserts and, you know, on and on and on. So I think it's a combination of, of, of stress, but also I, I think it's, an, you know, this kind of acute change, this deterioration in our diets. You know, I didn't even realize this when it comes to heart attacks until this morning. About one in five, according to the CDC, are silent heart attacks. The person really has no idea that they're even even having one until, as the CDC says, the damage is already done. So That's how is it even possible that somebody can be suffering a heart attack and be oblivious to it? Well, it's especially common in diabetics, actually, because, um, you know, one of the complications of diabetes is it can, it can adversely affect our nervous system. So it can cause numbness and tingling in our in our hands and feet, so it alters sensation. Well, in theory, you can get the same thing with, with heart. So when it dulls our kind of pain receptors, um, you can have a heart, a silent heart attack uh, and, and not know it because the, the kind of normal pain and chest pain you get, it gets kind of short-circuited. The other thing is people sometimes ignore the symptoms. You know, they, they in retrospect, you know, they, were, they did have a little shortness of breath going up the hill or climbing the stairs. 
you know, they, they were a little more fatigued, but, but, you know, because so many people are out of shape and leave a sedentary lifestyle, they don't perceive that as an, as an abnormal, you know, symptom, if you will. So let's, uh, let's get to the help here. Uh, we kind of, you know, teased five foods that can help. What are your five best when it comes to preventing a heart attack, Dr. Loomis? Give me number one. So I would say legumes, probably number one, um, you know, beans, lentils, and there's a couple of reasons why there's such a powerful tool. So, so one is a substitution effect. Uh, if you're getting your, your, pro, your protein, for example, from legumes, from beans, you know, what else are you getting? You're getting fiber. So fiber has been shown to lower blood pressure, lower blood sugar, you know, lower cholesterol, um, help control weight. Um, you're also getting a ton of antioxidants, uh, especially the darker beans. And, you know, one of the risk factors for, for heart disease is, is high cholesterol. And when we develop oxidative stress, which is a normal response to our bodies, um, in, in small doses, it's good, but in high doses, it can actually oxidize the, the LDL particles, making it more reactive with the blood vessel wall. Red, dark beans, red beans, um, pinto beans, black beans, very potent antioxidants. And what are you not getting? You're not getting saturated fat. When, so when we get our protein, for example, from chicken or ham or, or, or beef or turkey, um, you know, what else are we getting? We're getting saturated fat, right? And what are we not getting? We're not getting anti antioxidants because antioxidants only occur in plants. We're not getting any fiber because fiber only occurs in plants. So, so part of that benefit, you know, there's, there's benefit from directly from the legumes themselves, uh, the phytonutrients that are in the legumes, but also there's a, a pretty profound substitution effect because again, when we get our, when we get our, 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 our protein, for example, from, we're not getting it from meat. We're not exposing ourselves to the saturated fat, which we know is one of the biggest drivers of risk for heart disease. What do you have number two on your list, my friend? I'd say whole grains. Um, you know, you know, true whole grains, not not white flour, you know, such as that, but true whole grains. So whole wheat flour, um, uh, you know, wheat berries, farro, amaranth, um, um, even things like pseudo grains, like like, like quinoa. Again, the key here. It's the fiber. So fiber, again, has a, a, a lot of effects. Now, you do have to be careful with some of the more refined grains, like white flour, for example, uh, where you've taken some of the, the you know, where, when, you, when you make white flour, what you essentially do is, so a whole grain has several components. It has um, what's called the endosperm, which is the, kind of the, the germ of, or this, the, the embryo of the plant. The, the, the endosperm, um, uh, I'm sorry, the wheat germ is, the, is, the, is kind of the, the uh, seed or the, where the, the embryo of the plant in the, in the wheat, the germ has a lot of, uh, of healthy fatty, uh, omega-3 fatty acids. We have the bran, which is kind of a protecting covering on top, which is where the fiber is. And the endosperm is where all the carbohydrates live that serve as fuel for the plant so it can take, so it can take root. And so when we, when we take a whole grain and turn it into white flour, for example, we strip off the bran, which is where all the fiber is. We take out the, the, in, the, the germ because these fatty acids, it, you know, if they're not consumed rapidly, they can go rancid, like oil will go bad. And so they'll spoil it, shortens the shelf life. And so all we're left with is just the sugar component, right? And then we grind that up and we dye it, you know, we bleach it white and such. And we actually have to spray vitamins back on it because we threw them all away because we've thrown out you know, the, the most nutrient, nutritious part of the plant. That's not good because that, you know, that can spike our insulin levels. There's no fiber to damp down. The, the sugar levels and things like that. So that's not what I'm talking about. You'd have to be a little bit careful because of the way that, that um, when, you're, when you're looking for whole grain products, you know, on the shelf, uh, just because of the way the USDA allows food labeling laws, you can still have a fair amount of enriched white flour in a whole grain product. So you really want to be careful and look for something that's truly whole grain. Okay, so before we get to number three, it's not lost upon me that number one was legumes, beans, number two, whole grains, both of which healthy amount of carbs here, but there is still a large percentage of the population who equate carbs with something right. that's unhealthy. Right. In terms of just cardiovascular health, how important is it that we have carbs in our diet? Right. So so that's a great point, Chuck. So, so you know, I think this is a great example of how we practice health, uh, nutritional reductions, right? We, 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 we don't talk about food anymore. We talk about foods made out of, right? And if you think about it, 30, 40 years ago, we were worshiping carbs and we were demonizing fat. That was kind of the era of snack wills cookies, right? Fat-free, like free food. 
which by the way, coincides with, with the, um, you know, the kind of the beginning of the epidemic, obesity epidemic in, in the early eighties. You know, today we're demonizing carbs or worshiping proteins, but carbs aren't the problem, right? It's the package the carbs come in. So, you know, think about a, a small apple. You know, you know what they say, apple a day keeps the doctor away, right? So a small the apple has about 25 grams of carbs. That's about 100 calories. Uh, but where, where are the carbs at? Well, they're in the apple. And when we eat an apple, we, we literally burn calories um, to, to digest the apple. Um, it's called the thermic effect of food. The soluble fiber in the apple absorbs water. It slows the progression to our digestive tract. So we, we, we slowly absorb, we liberate the sugar. We slowly absorb it. Our insulin levels don't spike. Our sugar levels don't spike. That fiber serves as a, as a prebiotic food for healthy gut bacteria to down, downstream. There's vitamins and nutrients and all is good. We take that exact same apple and we squeeze out the exact same 25 grams of carbs, the exact same 100 calories we put in a glass. We turn it into juice. And we take that, 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 that glass over to the, to the chemistry lab and we analyze it. It's the same carbs, same calories. But now it's not in the glass. It's not in the apple anymore. And we drink it. In no way, shape, or form are those carbohydrates handled the same. Because uh, that sugar is absorbed right out of the upper part of our digestive tract. Our sugar levels spike, um, you know, on and on and on. There's no fiber to help damp down that, that spike in sugar to lower our cholesterol, to help us lose weight, to help us feel full. There's nothing to feed the healthy gut microbiome. So it's clearly not the carbs that are the problem. It is the package that the carbs come in. And I, I think that's probably one of the most important concepts that if people could take one thing away from today, it's one of the most important concepts concepts that are out there because, you know, when we get to the end of this list, odd, you know, it should be pretty, fairly obvious to everything that everything on this list is plant based, and in fact, it's been shown that a plant based diet um, reduces your risk for heart disease by about twenty five percent, which is about the same you see with the statin medication, right? Um, and and um, a whole food plant based diet is 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 about seventy five percent unrefined carbohydrates in our diet. But that's where the fiber comes from too. So, so again, I, I think you know the, the 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 key here is to not not to think about our food through what our food's made out of, but to think about the the food itself. And 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 again, trying to eat consume foods as close to the ground as they were grown. That that's really the key here. All right. So we're talking about the total package. You know, there was a pro wrestler back in the day. I forget his name. Uh, who went by the total package? Lex Luger. Right. Lex. Right. The total package. Lex Luger. So we could you know, take the Lex Luger approach here when it comes right. to food. And when you're considering, well, should I eat this? Is it going to be healthy? You always want to look at that total package. That's, That's exactly. kind of the name of the game. All right. So we've got legumes. We've got whole grains. What's number three on Dr. Loomis's heart attack prevention foods list? Green leafy vegetables. Ah. And, um, you know, green leafy vegetables have a ton of health benefits. Um, so just for example, we talk about, so if you think about the risk factors for heart disease, so we talk about blood pressure, cholesterol, um, um, you know, type 2 diabetes. So blood pressure is a major risk factor. Um, one of the ways to lower blood pressure and prevent high blood pressure in general is, is increasing the amount of potassium in your diet. Um, so we, in fact, the ratio of potassium to sodium, we actually have a Doc and Chef episode on this. Uh, the ratio of potassium to sodium is much more important than the amount of sodium in and of itself. And so and typically we need about 4,500 milligrams of potassium a day. People think about bananas, bananas are fine. They have about 400, but that means you'd have to eat 10 or 12 bananas a day to meet your potassium needs. The greens on the top of the beets, the beet greens, 1,300 milligrams a cup. Spinach, you know, 1,000 milligrams a cup almost. Swiss chard, 1,000 milligrams a cup. So these green leafy vegetables, in addition to, to, to having, you know, all the phytonutrients and fiber, they're full of potassium. Many of these green leafy vegetables like kale and arugula also activate nitric oxide. And, and so nitric oxide is very important in maintaining the health of our blood vessels. And the reason is um, that they, our blood vessels have an inner lining called the endothelium. It's a single cell lining. And what the endothelium does is it helps control uh, appropriately the constriction and dilatation of our blood vessels. So when we exercise, we want our blood vessels to dilate, to get more blood. Uh, when we stand up, we want our blood vessels to constrict so, so we don't pass out. So, um, and one of the things that happens um, 
with high blood pressure, smoking, lack of physical activity is, is this end, the endothelium can't react like it should, especially it can't dilate like it should. And that increases pressure in, inside the blood vessel wall, which can cause it to be damaged and increases for heart disease and things like that. One of the most potent activators of endothelium to help dilate appropriately is, is a compound called nitric oxide. And, and again, there are many of these green leafy vegetables are very potent uh, activators of nitric oxide. And by the way, you know, one of the other uh, important activators of nitric oxide are beets. So we talked about the greens on the top of the beets, which many people throw away. The beets themselves are probably one of the most potent um, activators of nitric oxide. And in fact, um, there's studies that have shown for, for endurance athletes in particular that uh, loading with beets, you know, before you, before you perform some endurance activity can increase uh, performance by about 10 to 15%. Interestingly enough, also uh, beets can serve as, uh, is almost like nature's Viagra because we know now, and again, we have a Doc and Chef episode specifically about this, that, that erectile dysfunction is the canary in the coal mine for heart disease. And the reason is, is that, that, you know, when we lose the ability to dilate our blood vessels appropriately, we can't, you know, we can't attain and maintain an erection. And so beets help, help, help do that. So, um, 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 there's a, there's a lots and lots of, of great benefits from green leafy vegetables. Recent study actually just showed that, um, one cup of, of green leafy vegetables a day reduces your risk of heart disease by about 15%. Man, right? No side effects there. By and nope, large. Exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> All right. Legumes, whole grains, green leafy vegetables. We've got two more still to go. What's at number four, Doc? So fruits in general, but ver- berries in, in particular, right? So again, berries, um, you know, fruits in general are good, but berries in, in particular. And so berries have um, are very, very, other than the dark beans, are probably the most potent antioxidants out there, anti-inflammatory antioxidants. And again, so we create oxidative stress. Uh, that's a natural byproduct. We, we, we use oxygen to help generate um, uh, energy for our muscles that contract. And, and, and one of the natural byproducts of that is, is, is are, are called oxygen-free radicals, which is, uh, and that creates oxidative stress. And small doses, they're good. They, they, serve, they help signal the muscles. For example, when you start to exercise, your uh, oxidative stress goes up. That sends a signal to your muscles. Hey, I'm getting ready to damage you. So, so get ready to fix me when I'm done. Um, it, it also can help uh, heal wounds and, and, and boost our immune system in small doses. And high doses, though, oxidative stress is bad. It can damage DNA, increase risk for cancer. It can damage muscle cell walls. That's why people get sore and stiff after, after physical activity. Um, but the other thing you can do, as I mentioned earlier, is it can oxidize the LDL particles which makes them much more reactive with the, with, the, uh, with the blood vessel wall. And our bodies have a very limited ability naturally to mitigate oxidative stress. And the only way you can, you can gain antioxidant capacity is through dietary antioxidants. And again, the only place they occur is in plants because in general, these, these dietary antioxidants are the plant's natural defense mechanisms to keep them from getting you know, infected by viruses and, and, and bacteria when they get damaged. So, so and, and again, in general, the darker a food, the, the darker the food, the more potent the antioxidants. So again, that's why the dark beans, but also blue, blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, um, blackberries, et cetera, very potent antioxidants, ton of fiber, uh, again, great for our hearts. All right, we've got a lot of questions coming in, but before we open up the doctor's mailbag, there's still one more on the top five. What is it, my friend? I would say it's soy. Um, soy, soy, right? So soy um, um, has has is is packed full of what are called isoflavones. Uh, they've been shown to help lower LDL cholesterol, lower blood pressure, prevent heart disease, uh, uh, also prevent breast cancer. Again, we've got a whole Doc and Chef episode just on soy. Um, and, and, you know, some people are scared of soy, um, you know, they're concerned it's going to cause breast cancer, but in fact, it's the opposite. Um, soy actually blocks, binds weakly, the phytoesters, the plant-based esters in soy bind weakly to the, to the breast cells, for example, and block the effect of natural estrogen. But soy, uh, now and you also want to be careful about how you consume the soy. Um, you don't want it to be ultra processed. So, so, you know, whole bean, especially whole bean, uh, soy products like like edamame or tempeh, uh, but you know soy milk and and um, and uh, tofu are fine. Uh, tofu is just you curdle soy milk, you scrape the curds off, press in a block, 
that's that's what tofu is. That's good. You probably don't want to go any more processed than that. So some of the the fake uh, like vegan burgers, um, you know, text, we see textured vegetable protein. Some of the the soy, some of the the plant based protein powders have ultra processed soy. You do need to be a little bit careful with that. There is some evidence that that may activate another receptor on breast tissue, for example, which may actually increase your risk for, for, for breast cancer. So, but soy is a, is a, is is great for our health overall. Um, but in particular, it's been shown to help prevent heart disease. For and there's a lot of mechanisms again, mainly through partly through lowering cholesterol and such as that. Yeah, but before anybody poo-poos uh, tofu, like you can really do some incredible things. Um, I know uh, Sh- Chef Karen Dugan, um, your, your your counterpart at the Doc and Chef, she does this amazing recipe where she just chops up the tofu, basically makes it into cubes, lets it marinate for, I don't know, four to eight hours, sometimes overnight in the refrigerator, really lets it soak up all of the flavor, and then we'll put it in the air fryer, no oil, anything like that, and then let it roast in there there for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, something like that. And then when they come out, oh my God, they are the most delicious things ever. I think the one that I'm thinking of in particular had kind of a peanutty flavor to it. Right. It was so daggone good, right. Dr. Loomis. I think we made a, she made a peanut dipping sauce for it, right? Exactly. Um, so yeah, soy is really just a sponge, right? So if you taste soy, you know, it, I mean, tofu, just raw tofu, it's it's pretty bland, right? Kind of cardboardish, but it's... It, 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 it is a sponge for flavor. So it'll soak up whatever flavor you put it in. And so there's tons of ways you can, you can make soy. I mean, I, I sometimes just, you can bake it, you can barbecue it, you can, you can, you can put in the air fryer, you can put it in a stir fry. I mean, there's tons and tons of ways to use soy and, and, uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, two to four servings a day actually is, is probably the optimum level for a woman to help prevent uh, breast cancer. For sure. And, and again, like if, if you're a painter, if you're a creative type, think about soy or tofu in particular as kind of a blank canvas. That's and, right. and, you know, paint it with whatever flavor you want when you're in the kitchen That's and great, it will take it on. It's so good. Great. That's a great analogy, Chuck. I like that. I may have to borrow that. Thank you, my friend. It's all yours. Share and share alike. <laughs> um, so here's, here's the deal. So those are the five best. Let me also ask you, though, about some of the, the worst. And I think back to... And I've never told this story on the show before. I was at a steakhouse one time uh, before, you know, losing all the weight. And the waitress was actually someone who I went to high school with. And after I placed my order, she said, well, you know, more people have a heart attack after eating steak and potatoes than any other meal. Now, I was equal parts offended and motivated to take up that challenge to prove that I could kill this porterhouse without killing yourself, killing myself. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I, I'm just curious, have, have you heard that? Is there anything to that notion or was this person just kind of needling me for, I don't know, whatever reason that day? Well, I mean, we know that a high fat meal is not good. And again, part of it has to do with dysregulation of the endothelium's ability. So if you've already got heart blockage there and all of a sudden you dump all this saturated fat and now all of a sudden your endothelium can't work and, and you know, you, you go outside and you climb up the hill or climb some stairs and your blood vessels can't dilate, next thing you know, you have a chest pain, you can have a heart attack, right? Um, there, there's a, so, so again, if you, if you go down the list of the bad foods, it's, it's uh, probably the worst is processed meat. Um, uh, you know, bologna, uh, bacon, um, and there's a lot of reasons. There's there's a lot of reasons that 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 can occur. There's some so red meat in general, processed meat is even worse. Red meat in general, though, um, and again, it's the saturated fat. Also, we know that heme iron is a very potent. We talked about antioxidants. Heme iron is a very potent prooxidant. So those are those are those are um, foods that make whatever oxidative stress we have even worse. Right. And so um, heme iron is the type of iron that we see in, in, in red meat. And people think, well, I, you know, I got to eat red meat because I got, or I'm going to get iron deficient. Um, and, and again, that's a, that's a fallacy because, um, you know, it is true that, that heme iron is very easy for our bodies to absorb, but too much heme iron, again, markedly increases your risk for heart disease um, and heart attack. Uh, there is iron in plants, but it's not bound to hemoglobin. It's non-heme iron. And so, um, it is a little more difficult for our bodies to absorb the non-heme iron that you find in plants. However, if you co-ingest it uh, with a source of uh, vitamin C, um, you'll see why our iron absorption rates um, um, uh, just as good as that as heme iron without the, the heart attack risk. 
Um, saturated fat in general, you know, so, so, um, you know, many of the seed oils, especially things like corn oil, um, you know, are very, um, are, are bad for our hearts. You know, we perceive that uh, boneless, skinless chicken breasts and salmon is, you know, are good. They still have a fairly significant amount of, of, um, of saturated fat. Now, it is true that omega-3 fatty acids can help protect us from heart disease. And it's true that some of the fatty fishes do have more omega-3s. But again, there's all, that also comes with a serving of saturated fat. And when we talk about fatty fishes, you know, most of them are contaminated by mercury and, 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 and you know, um, uh, microplastics and all kinds of forever chemicals. Um, and, and it's also true that one of the other risk factors for heart disease and inflammation is the overconsumption of omega-6 fatty acids. And so um, the primary source of those are, 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 are meat and dairy. And so dairy is another thing very high on the list. Uh, just under the meat. Um, and so we need about a, a dietary ratio of about three to one, somewhere in there, omega-6 to omega-3. You know, standard Western diet, 50 to one, even an unhealthy kind of a vegan diet where you're eating a lot of vegan junk food, you can see 20 to 30 to one. Uh, because we also find omega-3s, omega-6s in many of the seed oils. Uh, corn oil, again, being the worst. So 80, 83 to one ratio around somewhere in there of omega-6 to omega-3 in corn oil. They often add corn oil to cattle feed to fatten them up quicker. But even things like olive oil is still 13 to 2. And so you'd have to be a little bit careful with, 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 with using oil in general. Uh, but particularly the, the oils like the tropical oils, like coconut oil and palm oil, that's all saturated fat. All, you know, there's no omega-3s in there as well. So the, the ways you increase your omega-3 intake, um, you can take um, omega-3 supplements, but you want to be sure they're from algal, algae algal based. Um, but also things like, um, you know, chia seeds and hemp seeds and, 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 and the walnuts, um, uh, flax seed, even green leafy vegetables have some omega threes. So, so again, um, it, it's really avoiding the oils, the dairy, the meat, uh, processed meat. Those are the big ones. Yeah, let's stick with oil for a second. Emmanuel sent in a question a little bit earlier asking whether there were any oils that were in fact heart healthy. And of course, that brings olive oil into the conversation. That one is always much talked about. Right. Um, but then you also hear people trumpeting things like avocado oil and even some of the nut oils and, and, and sesame oil and things right. like that. The ones that really are getting shunned right now are the vegetable oils. So, right. I mean, is it possible to even rank them and say, well, these are at least a little bit less heart unhealthy? There, there is some evidence that, that, you know, the Mediterranean diet, which can, you know, which includes olive oil, you know, there's a heart healthy aspect to that. But, but actually, um, uh, Dr. Barnard and PCRM did a study where they looked at Mediterranean diet versus a kind of a low, low, very low fat, whole food plant-based diet and did see additional reduction in things like cholesterol, some of the risk factors. I think part of the problem is a lot of the studies that have been done with olive oil, um, you know, are comparing them to a diet that's really unhealthy, right? So, so in other words, if, if, if the primary source of oil is olive oil versus butter and, and, you know, beef fat and lard, uh, yeah, of course you're going to see a, a significant reduction in, in, in heart disease risk. So there's very little research around, other than this one study that I know of that, that PCRM uh, published a couple of years ago or a year or so ago, uh, looking at olive oil versus a true low-fat, no-oil, whole food plant-based diet. That research just isn't out there. Um, so, you know, I mean, again, is a little bit of olive oil every now and then going to kill you? Um, no, uh, probably not. Um, do you need to put olive oil on stuff to make it healthier? Definitely not. Um, um, now, the, the, the argument around the, the other problem with oils are is that um, we talked about saturated fat, right, from meat and dairy mainly. But there's another kind of fat, which is even a worse risk factor for heart disease, and that's trans fats. And so trans fats were used for a long time in, in ultra-processed foods to help stabilize shelf life and things like that. Most of those have been removed now. It's, you can't put trans fats in, in processed foods and in, in packaged foods anymore. However, um, oils have what's called a smoke point. And when you cook it, when you heat an oil above its smoke point, it actually chemically changes some of the fats in the oil and turns them into trans fats. 
And for example, olive oil has a very relatively low um, smoke point. Avocado oil, on the other hand, has a, a very high smoke point. Um, and so some of the, the discussions around oils are around, uh, around you know, how you're using them, what temperature you're cooking them in, how you can make them more healthy by using, say, avocado oil if you're going to fry foods. But again, um, you know, that's kind of which one is less bad for you, right? It's not which one is good for you. Because I would argue that really there's no oil that's abso- that absolutely is good for you. Um, there's probably some that are less bad. And if you, if, you, if you choose to cook food at a high temperature and you, know, you want to fry it, then you should probably use an avocado oil. But a better choice is to use an air fryer. And again, we have a whole, we have a whole Doc and Chef episode specifically on air frying and, and this, this, whole, this whole discussion around, around, um, around fats. So l- let me ask you this. You go to a fast food restaurant. It's not uncommon to take a look at the grill, take a look at the uh, French fryer and to see smoke rising off of the top. I'm not talking about steam. I'm talking about actual smoke. So that then is a real that should be a big signal to us like, hey, this is really not something that's going to make your heart happy. Right, right. Well, that, okay. that, that's a true state. There's probably okay. nothing in McDonald's going to make your heart happy. Maybe the, the wilty tomato, the wilty uh, uh, lettuce and tomato that's on top of the burger. That, that's really about it. Because even, even the condiments, right? Uh, even the ketchup is chock full of, of, of sugar and on and on and on. So, so there's really probably nothing um, good for you at McDonald's. Maybe the salad without the dressing. Great, great point, though, because Annie is wondering whether refined sugars like those that are in the ketchup and condiments, are those actually un, uh, unhealthy for the heart? They are. And, and again, so when we talk about heart disease, so heart, people don't just wake up with heart disease one day, right? So the, the, there are multiple risk factors for heart disease. And so, again, I think this is a good, another example. We talked about nutritional reductionism a minute ago. You know, we, we, we practice health reductionism as well, right? We treat, you know, so, so think about the risk factors for heart disease. So it's high blood pressure, it's high cholesterol, it's insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, it's obesity, it's, it's uh, sedentary lifestyle, um, you know, there is a genetic component and you know, smoking, things like that. But in general, as a physician, you know, I learned to treat all of those things separately. So I treat, I would, I learned to treat people's blood pressure different than their type 2 diabetes, different than their cholesterol. You know, there's a pill for this and another pill for that. But if you flip this all upside down, um, you know, if, at the fundamental level, all of those things are foodborne illnesses driven by the food that, or lifestyle related in particular, but driven mainly by the food we eat, but also by how much we move and how much we stress, and how much we sleep and, you know, whether or not we smoke and how much alcohol we drink. And so, so, so we know that refined sugar you know, again, part of it's a substitution effect. When we're getting, we're reading white flour or sugar, what are we not getting? We're not getting fiber, right? We know that fiber across the board reduces all of those risk factors. And we know refined sugar um, um, increases our risk for insulin resistance. It's also the fat. There's a lot of misconceptions around insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes isn't, doesn't come from carbohydrates and sugar, although it, it plays a role. It mainly comes from fat. Um, you know, insulin is a key that unlocks the door to let the sugar into our muscle and liver cells so we can store it for future energy. And when we get fat deposited in the muscle and liver cells, it jams up the lock from the inside. So insulin can't unlock the door. So the sugar starts to rise in our bloodstream. We have to make more insulin. And then when we eat these ultra-refined foods, like the white flour and the sugar and these, these heavily sugared condiments, um, that even in and of itself, even we need even more insulin. And so that puts a, a Tremendous strain on our pancreas, and over time, our pancreas keep cut, can't keep up. That's what we call type two diabetes. But even people with pre-diabetes, even early insulin resistance, have a, have a significantly increased risk for heart disease. So, again, I don't think we can isolate, you know, one of these risk factors. They're really all the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. And look, here's the thing, risk factors, heart disease, heart attacks, certainly not limited to just the U.S. I mean, this is a global issue. And that's why I'm really excited that we have so many people tuning in from around the world right now. Igwe is watching in Nigeria. We have uh, Caro, who's watching in Kenya. Elaine, who's in Scotland. Aaron is in New York. Maddie in Melbourne. Uh, Lynn in Rochester, New York. Tofu Tuesday checking in from sunny Phoenix, which I'm jealous because it was just sleeting outside my window (laughs) here south of... 
DC. Uh, Camilla is in Norway. Uh, but going back to Scotland, you know, just kind of a question for Elaine. I can't imagine that haggis, I believe, which is one of the famed meats of Scotland, is going to do your heart any favors either. <laughs> it's not a. It's not a. It's not a meat, Chuck. It is the. Um, it's ground up. Uh, tip classically uh, sheep lung and sheep. You know, it's kind of the parts of the sh- sheep historically that no one wanted to eat. So they ground it up, mixed it with some spices, stuffed it into a sheep's stomach, and uh, and cooked it. And that's what haggis is. Yes, uh, I, believe uh, it or not, I have actually back in the day, way long time ago, I, I actually had some haggis in in, in Edinburgh. Um, yeah. Um. So. You're a brave soul. I just, yes. I mean, that sounds worse than bologna to me. And God yeah. only knows what they put in bologna. Um, right, right. My goodness. So uh, it, you're right. I mean, it's kind of like sheet bologna. Is what yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Uh, question from Pete, wondering whether white meat causes as many heart attacks as red meat. We all have that perception, or a lot of us do, that white meat is the healthier choice. Well, again, we're, we're, this is more of a question, is it healthier or less bad, right? <laughs> um, um and we know that that white meat consumption significantly increases risk for heart disease. Maybe not as much as red meat, but but it's not it's it's not a negative risk factor because because again, if you look at at the you know things that increase your risk or things that decrease your risk, yes, white meat increases your risk for heart disease, right? I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, so it may not be as much as as red meat, but it's not a negative risk factor like. The foods I went through are the five foods I mentioned earlier, all of which are clearly negative risk factors, right? They clearly reduce your risk for heart disease. So depending on how badly you don't want to have a heart attack, right? I mean, you know, um, I think Dr. Greger uses the analogy. I mean, you know, if, if you wake up every morning and you bang your shin with a hammer, um, you know, is the answer to, you know, take some Tylenol and just hit your shin twice a week instead of every day, Right. How about we stop banging our shin with a hammer? Because every time we eat white meat, we eat red meat, we eat a piece of cheese, we you know drink a glass of milk, uh, we are literally taking a hammer to the endothelial lining of our heart, right? And so you know, again, is hitting your is it hitting it ten times a day uh, uh, worse than hitting it five times a day? Yeah, it is. Is 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 not hitting it at all better than? Hidden if I, of course it is, right? So, so again, I, I think that, um, um, I, I think sometimes we think about this the wrong way, right? So, you know, what we haven't talked about yet, uh, Dr. Loomis, is eggs. And I think back to another one of the episodes that you did on the Doc and Chef, where we really looked at eggs, and Karen whipped up uh, an incredible, like, homemade just egg substitute yeah. where she actually ground up the mung beans and made just egg, the same kind of thing that you would get in the right. stores, but made it in uh, the in the shop there at the Center for Plant-Based Living in St. Yeah. Louis. Uh, eggs and heart attacks. Some people say eggs are super healthy. Some people say they are to be a Avoided. What does the science say to you, sir? So, so there is a lot of controversy around 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 egg consumption. So we so particularly around the effect it has on dietary cholesterol. So, so it, it is clear that that dietary cholesterol can raise our cholesterol levels a little bit. What's not clear, what's less clear, is does that increase in dietary increase in cholesterol from dietary cholesterol significantly increase our risk? For, for, for heart attacks. And there's some evidence that suggests it does, there's some evidence that suggests it doesn't. However, I, I personally think we should think about our food as we think about the way we think about money, right? So if you have 100 calories to invest in your health in the moment, and, and what you're looking for, the investment you're looking for is not having a heart attack and not having a stroke and not getting diabetes and not having cancer. You know, that's, that's our long-term, that's, that's what we're looking for uh, over the long-term. Um, and we could invest that hundred calories in, cause you know, when we invest money, we're, we're looking at a positive return on investment. So nutri- our nutritional, nutritional return on investment is exactly that is reducing our risk for these, these chronic diseases. So if you have a hundred calories to spend right this minute, you can spend it on olive oil. We already kind of talked about that. You can spend it on an egg. You can spend it on boneless, skinless chicken breast. We, we kind of talked about that. Or you could spend it on, on, you know, beans and lentils, right? What does your nutritional return on investment look like for each of those, those, you know, for each of those? So 100 calories of olive oil is a little less than a tablespoon, right? And what do you get back from that nutritionally besides fat? 
Well, nothing, right? There's no fiber. There's no protein. There's no cancer-fighting vitamins. There's a few antioxidants, but not very many. Um, and, and, you know, there's 125 calories per tablespoon of oils. Um, so in fact, oils in general are probably one of the worst return on investments you can make. And I don't care what kind of oil it is, right? So what about an egg? You know, 100 calories of egg has some protein, has a little cholesterol. But what else does it have? Nothing, right? There's no fiber. There's no cancer-fighting phytonutrients. There's no antioxidants. And in fact, people don't realize that half a stalk of broccoli has more protein than an egg, right? Um, you know, there's eight grams of protein in a half a stalk of broccoli. There's six grams in an egg. And what else are you getting? You know, what are you not getting when you eat the eggs? You're not getting the fiber and the cancer-fighting phytonutrients. So again, not a great return on investment. What, what about 100 calories of chicken breast? You know, what are you getting? You're getting protein. You're getting some fat. What are you not getting? You know, there's no, there's no fiber. There's no cancer-fighting phytonutrients. And in fact, whether we're talking about an egg or boneless, skinless chicken breast, you know, the animals have just served as the middleman for the nutrition, right? So they've already used all the good stuff. They, they've already used all the fiber and cancer-fighting phytonutrients antioxidants to run their own machinery. They concentrate what's left into protein and fat primarily, which we then consume. Now, you know, six, eight, 10,000 years ago, our ancestors probably had a survival advantage to having access to this kind of pre-digested, pre-concentrated animal fat and protein because our ancestors needed to get big and strong and, and get away from leopards and find the mate and pass on their DNA before they died of some infectious disease when they were 30. So they never had to worry about if I overconsume the fat and the protein that comes from animals, am I going to have a heart attack or a stroke or get diabetes because they were already dead? And we unmasked all of that since as we've extended human life expectancy. And, and, and because most of us are no longer starved for calories, we have this luxury of skipping the middleman, right? We can go straight to the plants because all the protein in an egg or a chicken breast or a piece of steak, where did it come from? It came from the plants that those animals ate primarily, right? So, and, and by the way, you know, 100 calories of, of chicken breast is about an ounce. So think about how much space that's going to take up in your stomach. Think about how much space that oil is going to take up in your stomach or that egg's going to take up. What about 100 calories of beans, lentils, broccoli? You know, we're talking 8 to 12 ounces, right? That's a lot of beans and broccoli. So you're going to be full. What else are you getting besides the protein? You're getting fiber, cancer-fighting phytonutrients, on and on and on. So that is why these plant-based foods are such a such an amazing investment that we can make in, in, in our future. I mean, think about it, Chuck. We're coming into football bowl season and Super Bowl's coming up in a couple months. You know, you, you turn on a ball game and you open a bag of Doritos. How hard would it be to eat a thousand calories of Doritos when that game's over? That's just I the first it. half, bro. That's yeah. just the first half. Exactly. Come on. Think about how, you know, how long would it take you to eat a thousand calories of blueberries or broccoli? It'd take you a week, right? It's like 10 pounds, right? All so day. Again, it, it's, you know, th these plant-based foods become calorically self-limiting, right? So, so you can't overindulge in blueberries right, for the most part, right? You can't overindulge in broccoli. So, so again, you know, that's why I think if we, if we really, really dig down and, and think about the package that our food comes in, you know, that's really the key here. The total package. All right, let's grab a couple of more here before we uh, take things home. Uh, let's start with Marsha. And I think that this is a really pertinent question to what it is that we've been talking about all day today. Marsha at 1237 says, I've tried to discuss a plant-based diet with my cardiologist, but she's more interested in statins. How yeah. do I find a cardiologist who will support a focus on diet rather than just on drugs? Yeah. So unfortunately, um, you know, that that's a big issue. And, and Kim Williams, the past president of the of the American College of Cardiology has said there's two types of cardiologists. There's, there's ones that are plant-based and there's ones that have not read the science. So, uh, so, so you're, you're spot on there, Marja, that, that it is important. Um, there are a couple of good databases um, that, you know, there's some find a plant-based doctor databases. PCRM has one. Um, the Plantrician Project um, um, has one. And so if you just Google plant-based doctor directly, you can put in your zip code, you can put in your, um, um, you know, the specialty you're looking for, and it'll help identify, you know, plant-based doctors in the neighborhood. And I can tell you, you know, here in Washington, D.C., um, uh, there's two that I know of. There's one down in Fredericksburg, which is, a you know, a couple hour train ride away. And then there's one in the suburbs of D.C. But even here in D.C., you know, there's only two doctors that I know of 
that, that really truly advocate for a whole food plant-based diet. But again, they're, I think that's changing. I think more and more doctors are starting to come around and understand the fundamental importance of a plant-based diet, and especially in heart health. And so I, w- I would just suggest you, 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 you go online and you Google plant-based doctor directories. And whether you're looking for an OB-GYN doctor, or pediatrician, you know, primary care doctor, um, those are great resources. All right. Uh, Weiss, 1233. Avocados, are they healthy? I used to eat a lot of olive oil with avocados, nuts, fish, fruits. My LDL went to 102. I was expecting a lot lower number right now. I eat mostly plant greens and egg whites. So that's a great question. So avocados, you know, uh, can, can be part of a healthy diet, nuts as well, right? But the problem is uh, with, with both nuts and avocados, um, they, they do have a lot of fat. And so what I usually recommend for patients who, who have or trying to really get their, cl- their cholesterol in control. So, so when we talk about LDL cholesterol, you know, optimally it should be less than 100. Ideally, if you really want to minimize your risk for heart disease, it should be down in the middle, less than 70, 75, somewhere there. So people that struggle with high cholesterol, and there is a genetic component to this. There is, there is a genetic, about 10, 15% of, of our cholesterol risk comes from, from family, uh, from DNA. Um, but you do have to be careful about, and especially people who have insulin resistance. So type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, fatty liver, prediabetes. You have to be careful. Not So it's not only the type of fat you consume, but the quantity of fat. And so I usually recommend trying to keep your total fat intake, whether it be from nuts and seeds or avocados, which are, which are healthy fats, to no more than about 30, 35 grams a day. Uh, and then you want your fiber intake to be 40 to 45 grams a day uh, or higher than that, right? So oftentimes what I'll do is, um, is I'll have patients spot check their diet. They're, I use, an, and there's a lot of apps you can do it. I, I like Chronometer, it's called. It's C-R-O-N-O-M-E-T-E-R. It's very tedious, uh, but, 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 but keeping a 24 or 48-hour food diary, uh, I like Chronometer because you can save recipes. You can just cut and paste recipes. It'll calculate all the nutritional values. And just see where you're at. And I can tell you, I, you know, I live and breathe this stuff. And about once a quarter, I do chronometer just to recenter myself. And I am almost always amazingly disappointed at the disconnect between what I think I'm doing and I'm actually doing. And the thing that gets me in trouble is exact, it's nuts and nut butters, right? So say I want to have a snack in the afternoon and around Trader Joe's has these little brown rice cakes, which are perfectly fine, fibrous, little peanut butter. You want to be sure you get the one that doesn't have, it's just peanuts. We don't want a little palm oil, which is added oftentimes as an emulsifier because we mentioned earlier, tropicals are not good for you. You know, a little peanut butter, um, you know, maybe some apple cut up, maybe a little cinnamon, perfectly healthy snack, right? Well, I get the peanut butter out, right? A big spoonful for me, a spoonful for the cracker, another spoonful for me. Well, that's two thirds of my fat, just like that, right? Without even thinking about it. And just the other day, um, I, a couple, I have two sons that live here in town and we were going to have a taco party. And I, and I made a, uh, um, I, I wanted to make a, a chipotle cashew crema, right? Nice. To, to drizzle on the tacos. Um, and, you know, the amount of fat in that from the cashews is for a little drizzle, you know, minimal. So I get my Vitamix out and I get the cashews out. Handful for me, handful for the blender, handful for me. Again, two thirds of my fat intake. So, so again, you know, um, avocado is the same thing. You know, if it was up to me, I could take, I could eat a whole huge bowl of guacamole. I could just take a whole avocado and fill it full of hot sauce and eat with a spoon. Probably don't want to do that, especially if you if you if you tend toward higher um, uh, to, toward higher cholesterol, or especially if you've got you know insulin resistance. You know, you you want to treat avocados like you would a condiment, right? So so you know, a, a couple slices on a on a on a bowl or in a salad or on a burrito, perfectly fine, but Again, it needs to be in the context of limiting your overall fat intake to probably no more than about 30, 35 grams a day, somewhere. Yeah, I hear you say you probably don't want to do that, but then there's also that part of you that says, yeah, I, I, I really do. Yeah, I really do. They're, they're so daggone tasty. Uh, last question. I want to give this one to a first-timer who, uh, who's able to join us live. Annette at 12.15. Thanks for patiently waiting. Uh, wondering about their own heart health. Wondering whether it's better to first get a calcium score test or a stress test. Not sure why they would be looking to get these, but by and large, is yes, it possible right. to wait which is more important? Sure, sure. So um, so, uh, so, a, 
For those who don't know, a stress test, there's different kinds, but the typical stress test is an exercise stress test where you put someone on a treadmill, you hook them up to an, an EKG and you have them exercise so you can't exercise anymore and you monitor the, the, for changes in, 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 in the EKG. A normal heart muscle conducts electricity in a certain way and when, when if you were to have some blockage, and all of a sudden, you're not getting enough blood supply to the muscle. It changes the way that, that the electricity is conducted. And you can see that on an EKG. The problem is you have to have about 60 to 80% blockage um, uh, to fail a stress test, right? Um, so, so you could have 75% blockage and be in pretty good shape and, and still pass a stress test. Now, the good news is if you pass a stress test, the likelihood you're going to have a significant heart is that at the end of the next couple of years is, 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 is reasonably low. Um, but there are some patients who have a strong family history, um, and and or, you know, or they've got a lot of risk factors, and where we really want to be very careful about, you know, getting their cholesterol down, you know, pretty low. And sometimes it's just not possible to do with with diet and exercise. I'm you know I'm I'm not anti statin, but I I mean, uh, but everyone you know I mean I do use lifestyle lifestyle um, um, primarily. But there are some patients who, who actually might benefit from, from, from stats. And so um, a coronary calcium score, uh, what we're talking about here is uh, when, when we start to develop plaque or blockage in our, in our arteries, um, you can think of it as almost like a scar that's forming in the, in the, in the, in the subendothelium, just below the endothelium. And, and as that progresses or matures, um, that scar, if you will, that plaque will start to calcify. And it turns out you can actually measure the amount of, of calcium um, that's present in the coronary arteries. And so that's what, so that's a coronary artery calcium, calcium score. It's the test is what we're talking about here. And it's, it's done uh, with, a, with a modified CAT scan, limited CAT scan. Now, it doesn't tell you how much blockage you have. So it doesn't say, oh, you've got 50% blockage in you know, your left anterior descending arteries. But, but it, it measures what's called a, the plaque burden. And there is solid evidence that, that the plaque, the, the level of your calcium score directly correlates to your risk of having a heart event in the, in the next, you know, five years. Um, and so, um, I typically use calcium scoring to re-stratify patients' risk. And I'll usually do that first. If they're not having symptoms, I will usually do a calcium score first. Because if your calcium score is zero, then you don't need to get a stress test or if it's very low. If, it's, if the calcium score is very high, then we might move, you know, send someone to see a cardiologist, they might need a stress test at that point, if, you know, if your calcium score is four or 500. Um, so that's how I use it. So, I, because I think some patients are, are under, so if you, there's risk scores you can do, you can, you can enter in, you know, age and gender and cholesterol numbers and whether you smoke and what your blood pressure is, it'll calculate what your heart risk is. And that's how we've traditionally determined if someone needs to be on a stat or not. I think there are some patients who, you know, for example, you follow a plant-based diet, you've got a little bit of a family history, but you exercise and you're not obese and you don't smoke, but you put your numbers in, you know, your cholesterols, but despite all that, your cholesterol's still running a little high. Maybe there's an element of familial hypercholesterolemia. The numbers might say go on a statin, but I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I don't think that may, that might not be necessary. So I'll do a calcium score to, to see if they've been over, if their risk has been overestimated. And then there's other patients who, who, um, whose risk might be underestimated. You know, everyone in their family died of a heart attack when they were 40 and they've got, say, insulin resistance and all that, where we might want their lipids to be down in the 60s and we can't get it below 110, which might be okay for some people. Um, oftentimes, I'll use a calcium score to, to be sure they're not being under, the risk isn't being underestimated. That's how I personally use um, the calcium score. I think you know, any test I order, I, I like to think through what am I going to do with the results? And if the, if the answer is I'm not going to do anything with the results, and I typically won't order the test. But, but again, if, if I use it as in the decision tree to, to start whether or not to, to start statins, typically. Um, um, there, there are other uses of it um, that people use, but that's how I use it in my practice, you know, in a, in a per, from a preventive kind of standpoint. 
All right. Now, here's the deal. Uh, you can schedule an appointment to visit with Dr. Loomis at the Barnard Medical Center. Do it in person in Washington, D.C. Telemedicine visits also available in select states. Log on to barnardmedical.org. I know that your patient calendar is ultra full, yeah. uh, but you, sir, are definitely worth the wait. So barnardmedical.org to schedule your appointment today. And then uh, coming up December 14th in St. Louis at the Center for Plant-Based Living, you are going to be putting on your Doc and Chef hat uh, right. with Karen Same. Dugan going to be having the healthiest ugly sweater Christmas party <laughs> ever. Yeah. Uh, and and so I just, I brought this. I actually got this sweater the last time I was out your way uh, over the holidays. And I just wanted to hold it up because I just want confirmation that this may be the ugliest Christmas sweater that you have ever seen. You know what, Chuck, you might win the prize. Thank you. I mean, you're not even going to be there. You might win the prize. That is a pretty ugly sweater i have I, to admit i mean i'm not gonna lie to you though this guy kind of looks like the old me with the yeah, santa hat know, on you know good, that's a good point yeah uh, so it's yeah, just a reminder good. how far we've come in life that's all that's exactly right and i and i promise <laughs> you you know in addition to being amazing food you know it'll probably be the most educational dinner party you've ever been to as well and not oh, only yeah. is it a lot of fun and the food is absolutely amazing um you know and you and you don't have to cook you don't have to clean up and you might learn something Right. So absolutely. Matter of fact, let me go ahead and uh, pull up the um, the menu for the Christmas party. There it is right there. This is what uh, Chef Karen Dugan is going to be whipping up there. Look at this. I mean, this is just off the charts right there. There's a link, by the way, to sign up uh, right now in the episode notes. You get a bargain for the price. You get the education. Plus, you get the dinner. And oh, by the way, uh, you know, everybody's wearing an ugly sweater. I mean, I might send this one out there your way. I don't yeah. know if you would wear that that night, but uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like that that so poor crazy. sumo wrestler needs a name. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I mean, just a, a fantastic menu, and I see like chick chicken parm is on there uh, with pasta, and it just it never you know ceases to amaze me how fun eating a plant based diet can be, and how creative you can get in the kitchen to replicate all of your old favorites. So, you know, we talked about taking a lot of stuff off of the plate today, but it doesn't mean that you have to sacrifice the flavor that you've grown up with That's exactly, at all. Yeah, exactly, you're right. And so. you know, you can also learn more if you come over to the dockandchef.com. Um, you know, Karen and I started the Doc and Chef um, earlier this year, um, and and it was really you know we were getting the same questions over and over, like. You know, where do you get your protein? She's getting it from a nutrition standpoint. I'm getting it from HealthSet. Where do you get your protein? Is soy good or bad? What about gluten? So, we, you know, one day we're, we were at a conference uh, speaking and, and light bulb, why don't we start a YouTube channel? So we did. And there it is. these are short 10, 15 minute videos where we marry the nutrition science to your plate of food. And, and your, you, Chuck here is our, is our producer, editor, man in charge, the boss man we call him. Um, and each, each episode, I write a scientific blog post that has all the evidence and all the, re the, the research um, the links to it. So it's really, um, um, we've gotten some great feedback from patients and, and people in our community um, about how it's, you know, it's almost, people call it um, edutainment, right? So um, Karen and I have kind of a unique, um, um, in, um, um, we, we get along well together and, 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 and um, we have a lot of chemistry and, and so... I think you'll enjoy it and, and a new episode every couple of weeks. And um, um, so stop, come over to the, to the Doc and Chef and, and for some fun edutainment. Edutainment, my friend. There's a link to that also in the uh, show description and in the episode notes right there. Uh, Dr. Loomis, man, thank you for your time. This has been a lot of fun. And just recapping for those of uh, you who joined us a little bit late today, the five foods, the five biggies for lowering that risk of a heart attack, legumes, whole grains, green leafy vegetables, fruits, especially berries, and then soy, right? Stop shaming soy. Bring soy into your life. You will be just fine, my friend. Dr. Loomis, you are more than fine. You are tops, my friend. Appreciate your time. All right. Thank you. Happy holidays to you, Chuck. That's my guy. Dr. Jim Loomis, and I can't stress this enough to you. If you have not yet checked out the Doc and Chef series on YouTube, it's really a lot of fun. We're talking about bite-sized episodes that really are designed to improve your health and fun and easy and 
quite tasty ways, as a matter of fact. He takes his information and he pairs it with a recipe from Chef Karen Dugan. They put it together. So not only are you learning to improve your health, you're learning how to cook at the same time. So you're kind of getting the prescription and then you're able to fill it yourself in the kitchen straight away. Cool concept, so The Doc and Chef is on YouTube. And oh, by the way, if you would like to make an appointment to see Dr. Loomis at the Barnard Medical Center, there are certain states where he's able to see patients as well as in person in Washington, D.C. There's a link for you to make that appointment at the Barnard Medical Center right now in the episode notes. So I want to share this quote with you. I found this from Dr. Neil Barnard. This was on our website, pcrm.org. And it really goes to the heart of what it was we were talking about today. Dr. Barnard says, quote, if you change your diet and you do it very vigorously, you have enormous power. You can reverse heart disease. You can prevent it. And so what that says is that the power is in your hands. It is in your hands. We've talked about this on the show, but it is one of the things that excites me every single day. And if you head over to our website, you don't have to take my word for this or even Dr. Barnard's. There are tons and tons and tons of studies that prove just that. Poke around our website and you will see pages splashed with headlines all about it. Headlines like 66% of diet-related cardiovascular deaths are due to low consumption of plant-based foods. And plant-based diets can reduce cardiovascular disease risk by 40%. Or if you want to get nerdy about things, how about phytochemicals and plant foods reduce the risk of frailty and heart disease? And also, plant-centered diets lower the risk for cardiovascular disease in middle age. And then as generic yet as profound as it gets, vegetables lower risk for heart disease. And these headlines, this research, it goes on and on and on. And what each one of these headlines says is essentially that every time you eat, you are making a choice. You are making a choice. And I will sum it up with a line from one of the great films of our time, Shawshank Redemption. Get busy living or get busy dying. I know what my choice is. I absolutely know what my choice is. And I hope that you make the same one. And there's a link to all of our heart health resources in the episode notes for you right now. So how are you feeling about things after the show? We learned a lot, right? Is your health IQ up a point or two? Well, if it is, how about paying it forward? And if you would like, share the show. Share in that hope. Maybe even share your story. The easiest way to do that, head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever it is that you get your shows. Look for the exam room by the Physicians Committee and leave a five-star rating and a nice review. And in the review box, that's where you can tell us a little bit about how your health has improved. Maybe some things that you like about the show, what you like about a plant-based diet. And when you do that, not only do we climb in the podcast rankings, but then other people who are like, oh, do I want to listen to this exam room? Well, they'll see your review say, wow, look at what it did for this person. I want that in my life too. Get them fired up to take charge of their health. Get busy living or get busy dying, my friend. How about we all pay it forward to get busy living? So there's a link to leave that review, subscribe, the five-star rating, all of that on Apple and Spotify. That is in the episode notes as well. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Jim Loomis for being here and raising our heart health IQs with his five foods to prevent a heart attack. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. Plant-based.